This episode of The First Mile is supported by Montaigne's Further Faster podcast. If you love The First Mile, you'll love Further Faster. It features interviews with some of the world's greatest ultra-athletes, climbers and adventurers about exploring the world's most extreme environments. We regularly listen to Further Faster for inspiration, and I would particularly recommend the episode with Jenny Tuff, where she talks about why she spends three weeks running through the mountains with just a backpack for company. Just search for Further Faster on the same podcast app that you found the first mile. Welcome to The First Mile with Ash Bardwaj and Pip Stewart, in which we bring you untold stories from the world of adventure through interviews and dispatches. In this episode, we meet Rianne Fatanikan, the founder of Black Girls Hike. Rianne founded Black Girls Hike in 2019 as a response to the lack of inclusion and representation for black women in the outdoors and to provide a safe space for them to get exploring. Two years on, it's become an absolutely thriving community with groups based in the northwest of Midlands and London. Black Girls Hike has been featured in major newspapers including the Sunday Times, the Telegraph and the Guardian, as well as on the BBC, ITV and the World Economic Forum. Rianne has been nominated for several awards and was shortlisted for Campaign of the Year by the Great Outdoors magazine. What makes this even more remarkable is that just two years ago when she founded the group, Rianne had no hiking experience, no equipment and was unable to read a map. Now she's the leader of a national hiking movement and she shares her hints and tips on how to create communities and take that first step towards trying something new. Rianne is absolutely fantastic. It's a cliche to call people an inspiration, but we enjoy this conversation with her so much. If you've ever wanted to make a change, but you're not sure where to start, this episode is for you. So without further ado, we hope you enjoy this conversation with Rianne Fatanikan. So Rianne, I was reading that your very first London meetup didn't go entirely according to plan. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened? Yeah, so I was running late, really late. And you know, when you're just on the way somewhere late and it's just making you really anxious and panicky. So like when I turned up, I walked out the station and it was just like this absolute massive people. And I just remember thinking, oh my goodness, like it was just so overwhelming. I think I was shaking at one point and I can't even really describe what the feeling was, but it was just a mixture of loads of different things. Like I was anxious, I was overwhelmed. I felt really proud of the community that I built. And then I was like, oh, are we even going to get in trouble? Like, because it is a pandemic technically. But yeah, it was just, it was amazing. Do you know, I've never hiked with that many people before. And I just felt like, you know, this could even be a record, this many women, black women hiking in the UK and just like to be amongst everybody. Yeah, it was just a really, really nice, amazing atmosphere. It was so uplifting. I was on a high for like days afterwards. I imagine that moment when you come off the off the train and you're just suddenly confronted with all these people that you've brought there. Like you made that happen. That, as you said, that must have been incredibly overwhelming and such a such an incredible moment, really. It was, and then I felt really shy, and then I was just like, oh no, because our, um, our London leader, okay, she was kind of like doing her talk at the beginning, and then she was like, and this is Rihanna, I found her, and then all these people started clapping for me, and I was just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and was it you just sort of put out a call saying, we're going to be here, come join, and then that kind of moment of like, oh my gosh, there's, 
there's so many more people than we thought. Yeah, so we'd, we'd, because we started in Manchester, we'd been getting called for ages to like do a walk in London, and but we just didn't have a leader there. So as soon as we had a leader there, like everyone was really excited. And I didn't think that there was going to be a big turnout, but I didn't expect it to be as, as big as it was. Oh my God, I can imagine during COVID, that moment of like, are we meant to be doing this? What are the rules? No one knows. I mean, can we go to Barnard Castle? I mean, where are we? <laughs> What's going on? I know yeah it looked like a protest someone thought we were protesting well as we was walking through the forest because there was so many of us we was like there was like a massive stretch of us and people were like what's going on what's going on is this a protest like, no. <laughs> where, where are you going to hike we went to Epping Forest nice yeah it's one of those places that you don't expect to find because it's so close to London but it's really quite lovely with these nice open meadows and the forest all feels very old there Great. And how long after you'd set up Black Girls Hike was that walk in Epping Forest? Um, so we set up Black Girls Hike in January 2019 and the Epping Forest walk was August this year. And you'd already done quite a few walks up in Manchester and the Peak District by that point, had you? Yeah, and we have a group in the Midlands as well. So we started at the beginning of last year and then we had our first Midlands hike uh, maybe like last October, last November. And then, yeah, then London this year. But yeah, we do quite a lot of walks in the Peak District and we did Snowdon last year as well. Oh, awesome. Amazing. How was that? Because I I read that you, um, you weren't a hiker until like literally sort of beginning of last year so to do Snowden is a, a pretty damn impressive achievement yeah like and it was do you know what I think the atmosphere as you're going up Snowden like really really helps you because everyone's really motivating and encouraging like everybody that's walking down is like you're nearly there you're nearly there um, and just I think it, because it was just the group of us and no one had ever really done it before we was all kind of like doing it together I feel like that made it as well like you I didn't get into the outdoors until I was older and I can remember going out for my first big hikes and I found it quite intimidating before I went to go and do it like the kit that you need the maps the lingo worrying about the weather and things like that so how did you first get inspired to go hiking with these sort of long distance walks and how did you overcome that initial sort of activation energy to get you over that intimidation and actually get out to do those walks so at the beginning, so the, I got the idea to go hiking because I was on the train and I was watching people get on and off going hiking, but I didn't know how to read a map or anything. So when I was looking at routes, I was just looking in um, like the Manchester Evening News and it's got those like five walks in Greater Manchester and it's like a description. So it tells you like when you get to this, turn right. So I just did one of those. But then after that, um, I decided that maybe I should read a map, um, learn how to read a map, should I say. So I um, signed up to go on this skills course. And when they sent me the kit list I had to google everything because I just didn't even know what all this kit was like I didn't know what gators were but I now own some um so yeah I'm just like learning every day (laughs) and how's that been for you that process of going from not knowing anything about something but just seeing people doing it to being the leader of a community that encourages other people to do that same thing (laughs) I think sometimes it makes me feel under pressure because I think that people look at me like I have all the answers and I know things and I don't. People ask me like for kit recommendations and I'm just like, I don't know. I'm still on like my first waterproof jacket. (laughs) So when you're in bed at night and you've got that little voice of self-doubt sort of creeping in, how how do you overcome it? Um... 
I, I don't know if I ever do overcome it. I just kind of like keep on doing what I'm doing, I think. And I think that just gives me a little bit more confidence as I learn more, really. So just crack on. Yeah, just crack on with it. Um, because also I think that like, even though I don't believe in myself, the people that come to the group, they believe in me. And I feel like that inspires me a little bit. That's another thing that's quite intriguing. So rather than just going from, I'm going to keep learning about this as an individual and learn how to be more comfortable hiking and being in these sorts of environments. What made you choose to turn that into building a community? Was it a product of what it gave you quite quickly and therefore you thought, I want other people to know about this? How did you make that step? So I started the community as like as I started hiking. So I hadn't been hiking and the first hike was with the group. And um, so basically I just wanted to create a community where we was kind of like all on an even keel and we was all beginners and was just like all like kind of starting at the same time, really. So the community came first? Yeah. Wow. Oh my God. Did, I mean, did you think it would grow to this? No, I had no idea. So it was basically supposed to just be like a meetup where like, do you know, like you go on the app and you just like go to somebody's event kind of thing. It was supposed to be just a bit like that. Um, but I just started it on Instagram instead. But it's amazing how it's grown. I can't actually believe it sometimes. Because I guess a, a lot of people who don't use social media that much or, or who even do might be nervous about meeting up with a group of strangers to go into the wild. Well, not the wild, but you know what I mean? Into the outdoors for a hike. Did you ever experience any of that nervousness or were you just like, oh, it would be fine? No, I never feel nervous because I just think when you're going to do something that you enjoy and the other person enjoys it, like you're just going to have a good time. And why do you think it has really taken off in the way that it did? Because I think if you went back five years ago, if somebody said there's this untapped demand amongst black women to go hiking, they've gone, really? I I didn't think that was a market that existed. But you've you've found this untapped need, Mm -hmm. I guess... What does it tell you about the wider interest in getting outdoors? I think that it's just that people are ready to kind of challenge stereotypes now and just kind of do what actually interests them without just being pigeonholed into certain activities. I think that's one of the main things. So I think once the community started growing and people online were seeing that there was this black hiking group they could go to, they were like, oh, I'd love to try that. Like it's never even really been on my radar and I'd love to get involved. And then it just kind of, yeah, that's how people come to us really. So I, I'm half Indian mm-hmm. and very few of my relatives when I was younger were particularly interested in the outdoors. It wasn't something that that side of my family did. On my mum's side of the family, she grew up near the forests in Berkshire. So, you know, we'd go out and walk the dog. So I was a bit more familiar with it. Why do you think it's important to find and create communities that advocate for specific ethnicities or, or genders? How did you find that important? I think it's just important to to take up the space. So you need to create those communities so people feel like they belong. Because um, people might go to the outdoors and not necessarily feel like they're welcomed. But then if you're there in a community, you know, you don't really care about anything else because you're together. Um, so I do think it's important to kind of like have that kind of like support network. And that experience of not being welcomed, is that something that you feel is a self-belief that this is not a space for me? Or do- have you encountered experiences where you feel that that is a specific hostility? I wouldn't say I've encountered that many experiences where I would say I see a specific, like a specific hostility. But I just think that from experience of living in the UK, you would just assume that these places would be like that from 
or your other experiences that you have. Do you know what I mean? So, like, you deal with racism all the time, even when you live in, like, the cities. Like, why would you not think that the countryside is going to be more racist when it's, like, obviously a lot more white and, like, the less exposed people that live there? I think that's a really good insight. And I think it is an insight that people who are not from communities of colour don't really understand. Mm -hmm. They haven't had some of those lived experiences in their daily life in cities where you, you just get that instinct you can't quite put your finger on it yeah. you're like oh there's i'm being treated slightly differently or someone has said or responded in a way that is mm -hmm. different to how they responded to others and i think one of the intriguing and i think quite vital things that work like the work that you are doing provides is it's not just having a positive impact on communities of color it's having an impact on everybody else as well by just increasing people's exposure to difference and the awareness, yeah, somebody. So recently I went to Wales and I, um, I camped on this farm. And then the next day the farmer was letting me like feed animals with him. And someone messaged me on Instagram and she said, I really like that you like go in the outdoor spaces and show us that like there's white people that are actually friendly because she obviously genuinely thought that it was not safe to be there and that nobody would like be friendly towards you, which is interesting that some people think that because I think that the black experience and the minority experience is different all over the UK. So depending on where you where you're from, like I grew up in a place called Blackburn, in which some people might know, and obviously that's not the same as being like from somewhere like Manchester, for example. Manchester's a lot more multicultural. Blackburn tends to be kind of like Asian and white, and you've got like a kind of like a different dynamic there. And I think people don't consider those types of things. That's a really interesting point. I think. Uh, the, the way in which we share information, it's quite common to only share negative experiences. So the fact that you're sharing positive experiences, which for me, uh, in my experience, have been the majority of my experiences. Yes, I've had negative experiences, but it's important to share those majority experiences because otherwise you only know about the minority negative yeah, experiences. Exactly. And you need to know about those positive experiences in order to encourage and empower everybody mm. to do new and interesting and positive things. Yeah. We did have like a negative experience once in the Peak District where this woman told us to go back to the ghetto. And then I remember once mentioning it in a magazine and like, you know, when they print out the magazine, they kind of put that quote in like a box. And I just oh, remember no, thinking, the Ooh, bold quote. yeah. And then I just decided that I would never mention that again, because now I'm conscious that people are actually looking up to us and they're seeing what we're doing. And I don't want to put anybody off going outdoors. Do you know what I mean? That's a really good point. Uh, what is the one sort of piece of advice or rule of thumb that you have applied to black girls? Like even looking back at it, you realise oh, that was what I was doing. What would you say is a good rule of thumb for anybody trying to start something new that seems overwhelming at first? Um, just take it slow um, and kind of like stay in your own lane because it is really, it is really easy to just kind of like become overwhelmed when you're watching what everybody else is doing and they've all got the right kit and they're all talking in the right lingo and you just feel like you don't know absolutely anything and I suppose that could like knock your confidence a little bit but then everybody has to start somewhere and they were all beginners at one point. I guess you know if you said to yourself two years ago you're going to go walk up Mount Snowden you probably wouldn't have believed it or it no. may not have even been on your radar but by taking those tiny steps one step at a time you've got there yeah definitely yeah it wouldn't have been something that had interested me at all about two years ago going up Snowden so what would you now say to 
you know, you from 10 years ago or you when you were leaving school about what you're doing now? I don't know. Like I have this thing where I'm always like, trust the timing, trust the timing. And like, I remember when I was like, I went to uni and I went to uni like three times and like, just didn't like it. And I always ended up having like these jobs that I didn't really like, but I used to always say to myself, just like, trust the timing. I feel like everything's supposed to happen in like, in your season. And I feel like I'm coming into my season now and you should just kind of like, don't pressure yourself and don't like watch what everybody else is doing. Cause that can really throw you off. Because I've heard you say before, Rianne, but um, don't be a prisoner to what other people think of you. Yeah. And like as someone who constantly worries about how people are judging me and, you know, how I'm coming across. And yeah, you know, those real people pleasing tendencies. Like how how do you actually enact that in real life? I don't know. I think that I kind of feel like I'm quite resilient and I'm used to dealing with that kind of like negativity. Um, and at the moment we get trolled quite a lot um, and I just don't even read the comments anymore. And I feel like what actually makes me laugh is the days that we're featured on the biggest platforms and we get trolled the most, they tend to be like the funniest days because our followers will then just like go and troll them back. And it just kind of like turns all into a, turns off, um, trolls into a bit of a meme. So I think that it's kind of like just having like different type of coping mechanisms, really. So nothing yeah. like knocks you too much. That's really reassuring to hear because one of the reasons I've not engaged on certain topics or done certain things is a fear of response. Mm. And it's really easy to focus on the negative things and forget the positive impacts that you're having on a lot of people. So it's Mm. really reassuring to hear that. One of the things we like to do on the first mile is talk about the toolbox. So these are the tips and techniques and methods that you use to do what you are doing now. What do you think is the best way to engage with a new area? So when I go to a new place, I always like to try and find the local pub, the local restaurant, the local place of worship and the local place of sport. I think those four things tend to give me quite a good character of an area. What do you like to do when you go to a new place for hiking? How do you get a sense or a feel of that area? Hmm... We we don't really. We kind of just like dip in and dip out on our hikes, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Unless like we find like a pub and we don't usually. And um, so we literally just like usually just drive to our hikes and then just kind of just drive back. Explore as you go. Mm, yeah. So much more sort of discovery. You don't go there looking for anything in particular, but as you bimble along, you just see what you're encountering, use that. Yeah. So when I travel, I kind of like just to take it as a go. Like I never really plan anything if I'm traveling. You're a woman after my own heart. That's uh, I, I quite like that approach. We've had some guests on who talk about planning and I'm like, what? <laughs> no. just, yeah, woman with no plan. Just sort of see how life unfolds, I yeah. guess. How did you end up feeding animals with a farmer? Oh, just because um, he was feeding some animals and I was like, oh, can I help you feed animals? Because um, last year when I was in Scotland, I stayed at this Airbnb and the um, the farmer there let me um, feed his um, sheep. So I was kind of telling this farmer that I've got like a CV as a farmhand and, and he let me. <laughs> and he also said that next year in the spring, I can go and camp at the weekends and I can volunteer, which I just think is, that's just right up my street there. I cannot wait. That sounds amazing. And I- I guess before you started doing this, you had no idea that that was up your street. You know, if you grow up in Blackburn, you don't think that you're going to 
love spending time outdoors feeding animals and looking after animals. Exactly, yeah. It's just so many new things that have like cropped up and that I've decided that I quite like now. Like we've been caving, we've been in potholing, we've done some gorge walking, some climbing. I even did um, a wild swim a few weeks ago in Lake Windermere. Um, I'm not going to do that again. Freaking freezing, right? Oh, I remember thinking, what am I even doing for ages? Like, I think the only thing I got from that was a frown line. <laughs> to be very good for your mental health though isn't it cold water swimming apparently apparently it does have benefits and afterwards i did feel like like oh good on you rianne for doing that (laughs) i i think that's part of the thing with wild swimming there's a slight sadist element to it isn't there yeah definitely especially when the person you're with is like being so enthusiastic you kind of feel like you you're being coerced in because you don't want to disappoint her Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, my partner loves cold water swimming and he will regularly sort of go in for a dip and I'm like, and I've, I put my shoe, I put my little boots on and some gloves on and I'll wade in. But oh my God, it takes me ages to kind of actually get in the water. Yeah. And so that single hike that you did all that time ago has led to you doing potholing, caving, cold water swimming, setting up a community. Aren't you hosting a session at the Kendall Mountain Festival this year as well? Oh yeah, I am. I'm I'm co-hosting Women in Adventure, which is, um, do you know what? I'd never heard about Kendall Mountain Festival until last year. Um, And then that was the first time that I went. And I remember going there with my friend and it was like, everybody had a down jacket on and they were all like really outdoorsy people. Me and my friend was just like, okay. Um, but it was quite interesting. Um, but yeah, just to think that this year I'm actually going to be co-hosting. Like, I can't believe all this has happened in a year. It's, it's your time, clearly. The season. Your season. <laughs> it's such a cliche, but for you, it's clearly come through discovering an untapped love and passion. And it really is reassuring and, and so heartwarming to hear your story and think how many other people there are who can discover other similar things. It might not be hiking that they could just discover and and love and it could completely change their life. Yeah. I just bought some um, binoculars because um, I want to go bird watching soon. And there's a group called We Flock Together that I follow on Instagram and they're a really cool group. And I just want to go on one of their events and see something decent. And last time went to the Lake District, every time I took my binoculars out, my friend was just laughing at me like, what are you even doing, Rianne? But I just think when I see something decent, I'm not going to hand them over and you'll be gutted. <laughs> Honestly, taking binoculars walking is one of the best experiences. My mum got me binoculars uh, for Christmas last year and I take them everywhere. They are brilliant. And as soon as you see something good and you get the binoculars, everybody wants to look through the binoculars. Exactly. I've not managed to see anything good through them yet, but um, I'm learning I, I love that if you go back to where you were at the beginning of last year to where you are now, and I, I can't wait to see, Rianne, where you're going to be like a year from now. Do you have any sort of plans in the pipeline? Um, yeah, so what we're going to do is we're going to be doing some more training events. So we're getting more people outdoor skills. I'm going to do my mountain leader. Um, we're going to work with like some younger age groups as well and just hold more events really and get people like trying more outdoor activities. And what I find massively inspiring about what you're up to is it's it's a community thing as well. It's not like obviously you're benefiting from your love of this, but you're bringing people with you and you're creating something more than yourself. And I think when you look back on your work, is that a big part of what motivates you? Yeah, because 
when I was in, when I was at uni, I used to do development and I always felt like I wanted to do something that was like building community, but I just never exactly knew what I wanted, what it was going to be. And I used to volunteer quite a lot in my local community. So now that I've created this group, it just seems like just a real natural thing just to be like building this space for people. Amazing. Because you also run Tales of a Hiker, right? Yeah. Uh, your, your blog. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so... Um, I decided that I wanted to start sharing people's stories last year and it was a bit like, um, do you know Humans of New York where like uh-huh, everyone's yeah, yeah. all the different stories. Um, so I just started asking people like adventure enthusiasts from like all over the world just to share their stories. But then I also started holding meetups on there as well. So I've done like two meetups on there that are like mixed ones and we have a website as well. But um, I love that one because like once someone shares the story, you just, I love getting all the juicy bits. Oh, what juicy bits have you got? Like, I like the ones where I'm like, oh, I took to the mountains because I was just got divorced. And I like that kind of stuff, like a bit of drama. Yeah. And it's often those like sort of darker moments where you're like, what am I doing with life? I'm fed up. That actually, yeah, you do discover these sorts of things. And were you finding, you know, that moment when you looked out the train, were you... Like, describe where you were in life at that point. Were you sort of happy with how things were going or were you feeling like you needed a bit of a change? Yeah, so it was like the beginning of the year and I'd just been on a course um, because I was a union rep in the civil service. So I was on like a trade union course and then it was like New Year as well. So when I was thinking about, when I was on the train, I was thinking, oh, that'll be something, you know, worthwhile to do with my time. You know, like a new hobby for the year. And it it was kind of supposed to be like that. I wouldn't really call it a New Year's resolution, because they don't really last, do they? I suppose actually it could be. I was going to say this one has clearly, if it was. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it was just I just wanted to do something more worthwhile with my time, really, and just just develop a and just a new hobby. Uh, you talked just then about doing new skills learning courses with the community and trying to get more people into the outdoors. Mm-hmm. What do you think are the quite useful skills? You talked about doing the mountain leader course, but separate to those courses, what's the skills and abilities that you've learned and you are trying to teach other people? I think it's basically once you know how to plan the route then it just gives you more confidence um so like once you can read a map you can basically like look at the map and say after about 100 meters we'll get to this kind of thing and it just kind of like it makes it easier for me when I'm on the walks because then it allows me to just kind of like lead the walks rather than keep checking everything um so yeah I think that's a good skill for everyone to have um what other skills would I say it's always good to know what equipment you need um, I've just done a first aid course as well. That was quite handy. Even though now I feel like I've jinxed myself and someone's going to roll over and break their ankle. But at least you know what to do, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, ring for help. Should we go on to the rapid fire questions, Pip? Cool. Um, what is a place that you love to return to? Moses Gate Park, which is at the bottom of my road, but mainly because I've recently just discovered it during lockdown and I realised that it's got like a massive trail that goes through there, but also like it's a really cool place to just explore and there's loads of like different parts to it. So even though like I go there most days, I don't feel like I actually know it all yet. And I just feel really grateful that I've got that on my doorstep and it's just so close to home when everything's been so restricted recently. Rianne, if you had to give a TED talk about something you're not known for, what would it be and why? Um, probably, I have an allotment. So um, it might be about like the fact that I kind of like an um, amateur gardener. 
my God, what do you grow on your allotment? How are your tomatoes this year? Mine just died. Like, oh, oh my, my allotment's been a little bit neglected, but I was very, very enthusiastic at the beginning. So I was growing potatoes, onions, spring onions, broccoli, kale. I had some strawberries, some rhubarb. Oh. What else did I plant? Oh, I planted a butternut squash. Oh man, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> It was really exciting though. It was like an adventure because I got it like at the beginning of lockdown. So then I was like going every day and then like every night when I was coming home, I'd be on YouTube, like working out what I was going to do, going out and buying seeds, working out the best way to get my seeds to kind of bud and stuff. Like I loved it. And I made all these like really nice old people friends that was just like super excited to have me at the allotment because I've published the youngest person there. And like every time I'd go, they would have left me something in my greenhouse. The like oh I left you some you know like their little um little plants that were ready to plant and they'd leave me stuff all the time really sweet and then the guy on the next plot to me he had ducks and he would like leave me duck and quail eggs and that's another community to be a part of and it was lovely I I love that that's so random but I wonderful are there any books films or podcasts or other resources that you've maybe discovered over the last two years that you would really recommend to other people who are interested in getting into what you're doing? Um, not really. I would, I would, not any books or anything. I would just say social media. Like social media is such a powerful tool and I've connected with so many people through social media. Like I didn't used to use social media before I set up the Instagram for the group, um, but everything's just basically come off the back of that. One of the questions we usually ask is, what would you do if you weren't doing what you do? Are there any other careers that were like, when you were a little kid, you really wished you could do? Like, I don't know, be a dancer or an astronaut? I wanted to be a vet. (laughs) When I was younger, I wanted to be a vet for ages. And then I had this hamster. And one day I came home from school and my brother was in a mood with me. And I didn't know why. And because my hamster had died because I hadn't been feeding it. And my mum had taken it to the vet and it was in a coma and they had to put it down. And my brother was like, we're calling me like an animal killer. And then I kind of realised that maybe I'm not really cut out to be a vet because I might lose (laughs) That's so sad. I was only like eight or nine. It was so funny as well. My hamster was called Octavia. And I remember buying her in October, but I gave her such a unique name that I couldn't remember a name for ages. <laughs> couldn't remember Poor what Octavia I called the hamster. her. <laughs> so that, that was the end of the veterinary school. Yeah, that was that. Oh dear. Rand, so how can people get in touch with you? If people want to... Uh, learn more about either the communities that you uh, have set up, whether that's the blog or whether it's Black Girls Hike. Where can they find out more about what you do and how can they get involved? Um, so you can follow us on Instagram. We are bgh underscore UK and Tales of a Hiker on Instagram as well. Um, we're also on Facebook for both pages. So Black Girls Hike UK and Tales of a Hiker. And we have Twitter as well. Um, we're new on Twitter and the Trolls have not found us yet. So it's been really nice. Um, so it's UKBGH on Twitter. <laughs> Wicked. I definitely recommend following Rianne and what she's up to. It's so inspiring. Thank you. Rianne, it's been really great talking to you. I've, I've learned loads and I think it's 
for anyone who's out there thinking about trying anything, whether it is hiking, whether it is a new hobby, whether it's working on an allotment, whether it's becoming a vet, I think you've given us some great ideas on how to just get started and try and work through that first mile that can be the trickiest part of getting started on any journey. Uh, so, you know, thanks so much. It's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on, Rianne. Thank you. That was the last episode of season one of The First Mile. I know we cannot believe it too, but have no fear. We will be doing some in-between episodes. There will be a few extra stories from the dispatches from around the world. We'll also be doing a wrap-up of the season episode with a very exciting competition with some giveaway goodies from Montaigne. So make sure you stay tuned. As always, we really love any feedback from you guys. So please subscribe, rate, give us some comments. Let us know on social media what you've been up to, what you've been doing and what you think of the episode. Thank you so much to all of you for the support this season. It really has meant so much to Pip and I. We have loved making this show and we have loved the response from you guys who've told us what you've got from it. We will be back in season two in the new year. So have a very Merry Christmas, a very Happy New Year. Listen out for the in-between episodes, stay subscribed and thank you so much for supporting The First Mile. This episode of The First Mile was supported by Montaigne's Further Faster podcast. Each episode of Further Faster is packed with inspiration and insight about extreme exploration and adventure, and we listen to it whenever we want to blow our minds about what's possible. Just search for Further Faster on your podcast app to find it.